Our series this year is called By Faith. As we walk through Hebrews chapter 11, we are stopping to look at some of the heroes of the faith. We'll jump back to the Old Testament, pick up a passage that talks about their life, pull it forward, talk about why they're in Hebrews chapter 11 and how that affects us as we try to live by faith, ultimately concluding in the spring semester with Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, where it tells us, therefore, with all these witnesses testifying to God's goodness, we lay aside every sin which so easily besets us. We lay aside every weight that holds us back so that we can run the race with endurance, seeking Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's our ultimate goal. So as we walk through this series, today we are picking up in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse eight, and we're gonna take it from verse eight to verse 16. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, as you know, mentions by faith over 20 times. It has that inclusio, that beginning and that end in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, where faith ends in commendation. And at the end of the chapter where commendation is mentioned again with faith. And so the writer of Hebrews brackets this preaching section of by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by saying it's by faith we receive our commendation. We are commended by faith. We are saved by faith. It's by grace through faith. It's not by works. It's not anything in and of ourselves. And this entire section has another theme that's woven throughout and that is that God keeps his promises. God is a God that keeps his promises. Think if you served a ruler or a God or somebody who didn't keep their promises. They told you one thing, they did another. They told you something, they never followed through on it. Would that be frustrating? Aren't you glad that we have a God that gives us his word and that he keeps his promises? In this chapter, we zoom in on two different people. We zoom in on Abraham, we zoom back out, and then we zoom back in on Moses. Today, we are zooming in on Abraham, and we're talking about an overarching theme of a God who keeps his promises as we look at this in the life of Abraham, particularly in the inheritance that's promised to Abraham through the land, through his descendants, and through an eternal heavenly home. And we'll get to one of the tents on stage here a little bit later. So let me start off with our introduction in this way. Have you ever made a promise you couldn't keep? Anybody? Raise your hand. If you made a promise you couldn't keep. My mom and dad taught me very early on, don't make a promise you can't keep. And they drilled that into my head. Don't make a promise you can't keep because it costs you integrity. It costs you your word. It challenges who you are. And I should have learned that lesson. But there was a day that came very early on in my daughter's life. She was young and I made a promise. I made a promise to go get her ice cream. And I didn't use those disclaimer words that we usually put in there like maybe or likely or if or any of the other words that we do to make those promises okay. I actually made the promise to go get ice cream. And then I changed my mind and thought, we've got other things to do. We don't need to go get ice cream. And so I told her, I said, you know, we're not, we're not gonna go get ice cream. And I'll never forget the look in my daughter's face when she was about three or four years old and she looked up at me with this strawberry blonde hair and she gave me this look up and all of a sudden that smile turned into a frown and those eyes had a worried look in between them and she looked at me and her shoulders dropped and she goes, but dad, you promised. <laughs> so what did we do? We went and got ice cream. Two scoops, not one. <laughs> Double promise, right? Because looking at my daughter's face, 
and knowing my own love for ice cream in the first place, but looking at my daughter's face (laughs) and understanding I had made a promise, I had to keep that promise. And I also understood I gotta be more careful what promises I make in the future. But aren't you glad that God is a God that keeps his promises? Now here's gonna be our challenge when we come back to this at the end. Do you believe God keeps his promises? Do you? If you believe God keeps his promises, if you have faith, which we have defined as trusting God and trusting his word, how does that affect the way you live your life on this earth? If you trust that God's way is the best way, what activities should you not do that you are doing or what activities should you be doing that you're not doing? How does it affect the way you live your life daily? There is nothing more practical than talking about does God keep his promises? Because if God's word is true and God keeps his promises, that affects how I resist temptation or how I give in to something that might bring immediate gratification. It affects how I seek a future relationship with a spouse. It affects how I use my body and what I put into my body and all of those type things. It affects what I say. It affects how I live. It affects what I put out on social media. Everything is affected by the way we live our lives, if we trust God's promises. Let's read the Word of God. Would you stand with me in honor of reading Hebrews chapter 11, beginning verse 8? It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, And you'll notice promises in here four times. Here's the first one. He went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, From one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sands by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Dear Lord, we pray that you would be lifted up and glorified as we look at this text and that we would consider how it should affect the way we live our lives daily. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In this first section, what we see in verses 8 through 10 is the promised inheritance of land. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, he went out, and he went out to a land of promise in verse 9. He went out with Isaac and Jacob, who had the same promise, again in verse 9. And so here we see a promise that God had made to Abraham to say, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. There's going to be a land that you will inherit. Now, Abraham didn't go out based off of the land itself, not the possession of the land. He went out based off the promise of the land. So how many of you are willing to go out and to move and to leave and to go into the unknown just based off the promise of what God says he's going to give you? Not based off of a title deed, not based off of a possession, 
but based off of a promise. This is Abraham buying into God's plan, trusting in God, trusting in his word, and buying this sight unseen. I can't fathom buying a house sight unseen. I can't fathom picking up my family and moving them halfway across a country or even farther sight unseen, not knowing where we're going to go, not knowing what the plan is going to be, but just picking them up and saying, it's time to go, it's time to move, let's go, sight unseen. But listen to what the text says. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Abraham went out. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. Here's something I want you to take note of. Faith is always accompanied by obedience. If you say you have faith, but you don't have obedience, James tells us faith without works is dead. It's not true faith. Let me prove it to you. Now, we don't have a fire going on in the building, all right? So everybody understands that. There's no fire, right? You with me? Shake your head, yes. What if I were to walk up here on stage and yell, there's a fire in the back, there's a fire in the building, get out. How would we know who believed me? You would see them running that way. You wouldn't have to go up to somebody and go, hey, do you believe Dr. White? I mean, he's a little shady character sometimes. I don't know. I don't know if I believe there's a, you know, he likes to joke around. Is he playing, pulling a prank on us? Or You wouldn't have to ask a student, do you believe? If I were to walk up here and say, there's a fire, get out. You know who believes because they're headed that way. And you know who doesn't believe? Because they're sitting there looking going, what's he talking about? I don't, I don't smell smoke. And so you don't believe. If you really believe and have faith, it's followed by obedience. And we see this in the text. We see this here where Abraham believed by faith and he obeyed when he was called out. God called him and he called him to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Now, here's another thing I want you to catch in this text as we look at this section. God called him from somewhere to nowhere. God called him from a place where he had a homeland and where he had a family and where he had an inheritance and where he had everything. And God said, come on, you follow me and I'm going to give you a better inheritance. I'm going to give you a place, but you're not going to know exactly what this place is. But God called Abraham to go from somewhere with all of the securities and everything you would expect to say, go to nowhere, but you're going to follow God going to nowhere. How many of you are willing right now to say, God, I will follow you from somewhere to nowhere, not knowing where the end destination is? We should be. If we truly have faith in God, if we truly believe what we said up front, that God is a God that keeps his promises, then when God calls us, if God calls us to leave the security of what we know, the security of what's familiar, the security of what's convenient, the security of what's around us and says, go and you go to nowhere. I'm not gonna tell you the final destination yet, but there's a promise that I'm gonna make to you that I will keep. We should be willing by faith, sight unseen, to live that life and walk daily to follow God. How do you have that kind of faith? It doesn't just happen overnight. You're not gonna have that faith when that moment comes if you don't live daily by faith in your personal life today. If you don't live today by faith and tomorrow by faith and the next day by faith, when God confronts you with a major calling and says, follow me, trust me, you're not gonna trust, you're not gonna live because you're not in a pattern of obeying him by faith. So we have to live a life by faith. Abraham obeyed. Abraham went out. Abraham by faith went to live in the land of promise. And it says there in verse eight, he didn't even know where he was going. Abraham knew not where he was going, but he still went out. 
Isn't it amazing that not knowing the end destination, he picks up and he moves? Here's another section I want to get for a small percentage of you in the room. Abraham's father's name was Terah. Terah served many gods according to Joshua 24.2. Some of you are in this room right now. And you're looking around and you're going, you know what? Every now and then I kind of feel weird at Cedarville. Because you know, some, some of, a lot of the students here, they come from godly families. They have a, a mom and dad that love Jesus, and they have devotions in their house, and they have quiet times, and, and they, they understand this, this Christian culture and this theology, and, and they understand all this. But you know, I'm not like that. I didn't come from that type background. I came from a place where my dad didn't know Christ. My dad didn't live for Jesus. My family is not that type of family. And I'm not sure I fit in here at Cedarville. Well, here's what I want to say to you if you've ever had that thought in your mind. If you didn't have that godly heritage, that godly mom, that godly dad, the godly family, the godly upbringing, you got to identify with Abraham. Because Abraham did not have it. But when God called Abraham by faith, and Genesis tells us that he believed God and God reckoned it to him as righteousness, Abraham by faith stepped out and he said, you know what, I'm going to break that tradition. I'm no longer going to be in the tradition that serves many gods. I'm going to serve the one true God. I'm going to break that tradition and look at the tradition that Abraham starts. God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God identifies himself as being the God of Abraham because Abraham stepped out on faith and he said, I'm leaving that past behind. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to serve God. I trust God. I trust in his word and that's going to be my future. And Abraham didn't have the godly past, but he had the godly heritage and the godly legacy, didn't he? Abraham left. Abraham went out. He didn't know where he was going. He went to the land to live in the land of promise. But how did he live in this land of promise? Look at what it says here in verse 9. He left and lived in this land of promise as a foreign land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs of the same promise. But look at what he was looking forward to. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Now, is that the land that was promised to the Hebrews? Was that land a land that was designed and built by God? Or do we get a clue here that when we jump down to verses 13 through 16, that what it talks about is all these died in faith. They didn't receive it, but they saw it from afar. They were strangers and exiles on earth, but they desired a better country, a heavenly country. And so Abraham left, he trusted God. He went out on faith because he wasn't looking just for something in this life. He was looking for that eternal city, that heavenly city, that city with foundations that was built by God. But in order to get to that heavenly city, he lived in a tent. Now think about a tent for a minute. You look at this tent, does this have great security? I mean, there's, there's no lock on the door. If I were a wild animal, I could go right in, right? There's no wall to keep people out. There's, there's not a lot, you know, ladies like to nest and they like to have great things that, that set up home and make it look all pretty. And I can prove it to you because I could take you to a girl's dorm room versus a guy's dorm room and you would immediately see the difference. The girls like for things to have their place, be in their place, be pretty, be nice. It's home. It even smells good in the girl's dorm. Unlike Brock, but that's a different story for a different day, all right? And the guys are proud of that. They don't mind that. It smells like testosterone in there, right? They're okay with it. 
except for one guy over there who's not okay with it. It's all right. <laughs> you understand that there's a difference between guys and girls, and, and we like to have a secure place, guys. Is this secure or could you take it? And this is easy to bust in. Is this permanent? Does this talk about your building skills, your engineering prowess? Is this gonna be an edifice that would, would talk about your greatness and what you've done? Absolutely not, it's a tent. And we even have them better now. We fold them up, put them in a bag, we pop them out, we put little sticks, up they go, and then we're in a tent. But you've stayed, how many of you like camping, by the way? Raise your hand if you like camping. Okay, if you're a girl and you like camping, raise your hand. If you're a girl and you like camping without an air mattress, raise your hand. Okay, all right. It got smaller. You saw that, right? If you're a girl and you want to marry a guy who's going to lead you around to live in a tent for the rest of your life, raise your hand. We have two. <laughs> three. We have three. You want a house, right? You want a house with a picket fence and a front yard and kids running around playing and dogs and animals and happiness and joy and laughter and you don't want to have to pick up and move. That's, that's kind of what we like. It's not this. But Abraham left the security of knowing and he left somewhere and he went to nowhere and he lived in a tent to do it. Are you willing to follow God if that's what God calls you to do? Are you willing to trust in God's promises and follow him to that extreme? By faith, he went to the land of promise as a foreigner. Now, I thought about this too. You know, when you're a citizen of a country, you have a status. You have a driver's license, you have citizenship, you have a status. But when I've traveled overseas and I have been a visitor in a foreign country, there's a little bit of insecurity that comes along with that. You don't necessarily know the language as well. You know you have an embassy there, and, and if you're the United States, that means something a little bit. If you have that eagle on that passport, that really matters to some of these other countries. But there's a little bit of insecurity when you go to another land and you know that you're a foreigner in that land. And if you're a foreigner here at Cedarville, we want you to feel secure because we love all the nations. But when I travel overseas, I, I get that. If you're a visitor in a foreign land and you know you're in exile and you know it's temporary, you lose even more security, don't you? And it takes more trust in God to say, I'm gonna follow what God does. He continues on here and there's a second promise that comes. The second promise we see in verse 11. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. All right, this passage right here is just awkward, okay? And I just, here's why it's awkward. The text in the original Greek and the word that it uses to talk about the conception talks about the depositing of the male aspect of procreation. And in this translations that we use, it talks about Sarah's faith and talking about Sarah's faith a little bit awkward because Sarah laughed and we all think about the fact that Sarah laughed. And so we don't think that Sarah had a whole lot of faith. And then when you move to Abraham down here, it says in the text, Abraham being as good as dead. What does it mean when it says Abraham was as good as dead? Well, when you look at the commentaries on this, they have a hard time expressing it because here's what they end up having to say. Abraham being as good as dead means that Abraham can no longer fulfill the male portion of what Abraham had to fulfill in order for them to have children. Awkward. <laughs> and if you have kids in the room, I apologize. You can handle that later and I will give you a gift certificate to Chuck's or something. I don't know, whatever. 
So on the G-rated version, let me back up and walk through this. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Think if I brought a lady and walked a lady across stage, she's 90 years old, get in your mind a 90-year-old lady, and I walked her up on stage and I said, she's gonna have a baby. What would your reaction be? Exactly. Now, what if I brought the 100-year-old guy up on stage and said, he's going to be the father? All those commercials are coming to mind. Get those out of your mind right now, all right? Get rid of them. Get rid of those commercials. They're bad things. Get rid of those, all right? He was past, and we'll try to recover the service here in a minute. He was past the age. But look at the promise here. Focus in on the text now, and we'll draw it back in. Verse 12, from one man and him as good as dead, what does it say? One man, notice the contrasting image here. One man were born descendants as many as the stars in heaven. How many stars are there in heaven? I don't have a clue, but there's a whole bunch. And then look at what it says next. And as many as the innumerable grains of sands by the seashore. You go to the seashore, you look at all the sand, it's the descendants of Abraham. And Abraham was a man who was as good as dead. And his wife was 90 years old and God said, I'm gonna give you a son. Now, Abraham wasn't perfect in his faith. You all know the story. You know about Ishmael. You understand that Abraham also made his wife say he was his sister because he was worried that God wasn't gonna protect him. He had his moments where he slipped, but Abraham here was a promised the son. And it says here that by faith herself, Sarah received the power to conceive. A couple of points in this. This clearly tells us that God is the giver of life. You know, we often look at this and we often boil it down to some scientific issue of it's this and it's this and they meet and you get this. And we think that's life. That's not life. Life is given by God. And if you don't believe life's given by God, you come find me sometime and I'll tell you my story and I'll walk you through our adoption and our son and you will eventually believe that God is the ultimate giver of life. If God is the giver of life, all life should be valued. All life is important. We are created in the image of God. God here gave her the power. It's a clear text to say that God is the giver of life and don't ever take that for granted. By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive, even though she's past the age. Why? She considered him faithful. She trusts God who had promised. God promised, she believed God, kept his promises. She received the power to conceive there. We know she laughed. And a lot of people wanna think about Sarah and they wanna say, Sarah's not a woman of great faith. Wait a second. We had three of you raise your hands and say you wanted a guy that would lead you around in tents for the rest of your life. Sarah we know was a beautiful woman because Abraham was worried that some of the kings would kill him to take her because of her beauty. And Sarah was not a prima donna that wouldn't go live in a tent, but Sarah obeyed, Sarah obeyed God, Sarah went with Abraham, and Sarah had to dwell in the tent right alongside Abraham. Sarah had to accompany him and believe in the promise that God had made for the land and for the descendants. And so Sarah was a woman of great faith and don't ever undermine that. Yes, yeah, she laughed at God at 90 years old when God said, you're gonna have a baby. You would have laughed at God too at 90 years old if God said you're gonna have a baby. That didn't make sense from an earthly perspective. But we also learn in this text that the impossible is possible with God. Don't miss it. In your life, you see things and you think there's no way God could do that. He does it all the time. The impossible is possible with God. Here, we see it as the text walks through. One man, 
and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Do you trust God? He's delivered on the land promise. He has delivered on the descendants promise. And then we move to verses 13 through 16 where the writer of the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 takes a little sidebar discussion and he brings in a major point here about halfway through this chapter and he zooms in and he focuses and when he focuses, he says, these all died in faith. Who are the these all there? I think he's talking about Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob. I don't think he's talking about Enoch because Enoch walked with God and was no more. He didn't die. So he's talking about just this set he just finished. They died in faith, not having received the things promised. Are you okay to live your life trusting God even though you know you may never receive the ultimate fulfillment of the promise in this life? It may be in the next life that you receive justice, rightness, the fulfillment of the promises, and in this life you may be mistreated, you may be poor, you may not have what you want, you may go through life as an exile, as a pilgrim that's passing through. Will you trust God if things aren't perfect in this life? They're not gonna be perfect in this life. But will you trust that God is faithful? They re- not having received the promises, the promised things, but having seen them, and you remember back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, as having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. Are you a stranger and an exile on earth? Now don't misunderstand me here. Let me thread the needle for you. When I say a stranger in an exile on earth, I don't mean that you are so disconnected from society that you don't care for the poor, that you don't reach out to the rest of the world, that you are not engaged. We do not live in a monastery. We do not withdraw from culture. We engage culture. We articulately present a biblical worldview against the errors of culture. We love on the poor. We minister to the poor. We do so with the gospel in mind because we're not air conditioning the pathway to hell. We are truly loving them and truly helping them and ministering to their physical needs and their spiritual needs at the same time. We reach out to try to fight against social injustice. We reach out to try to help the world We want to make this world a better place, but we want to do so with the gospel at the front and at the center because we understand that's what has eternal value and eternal significance because we're strangers and exiles on this earth. It's not ultimately about this earth. We don't fight for care of creation because we're worried about what the earth will look like in a billion years. We do so because we're good stewards of God's creation. There's a different motivation from a biblical worldview. And you've got to recognize and realize we are strangers and exiles on this earth. We are tent dwellers. This is our home. And we have to be comfortable with this because as this text tells us, there's a heavenly city that is not yet built. There's a heavenly city that we anticipate. Look at what it says, strangers and exiles. For people who speak thus make it clear they're seeking a homeland. They're seeking mama's cooking. They're seeking mama to wash their clothes for them too sometimes, right? They want to go home to the comfort of a homeland. How many of you are homesick right now? This text is for you. Because what it's saying is as sick as you are for your home and mom and dad, that we as believers in Christ recognize we are tent dwellers and exiles on this earth and we are homesick for our God and for Jesus and for heaven and for living in eternity in a place that is right, in a place that has justice, in a place with no more tears. If they had been thinking of a temporary land, if they had been thinking of Ur, 
from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to go back home. That's not what they're thinking of. But it is that they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Look at what it says here in this last verse. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I can't think of a better statement anywhere in Scripture to be said of us than God is not ashamed to be called our God. You know, I kind of think that would be a good tombstone inscription. God is not ashamed to be called my God. I live my life, I make my decisions, I trust in him and his word in such a way that God is not ashamed to be called my God. Don't you want that said about you today? If you do, you gotta recognize we're exiles, we're tent dwellers, we're pilgrims, but there's a heavenly city. Can I tell you about the heavenly city? Jesus one day who died on a cross for our sins and allowed us to have forgiveness in his grace is building a city and he will one day come back to rescue us and he will take us back with him to a city that he has built where there will be no tears, there will be no need for glasses or contact lenses, there will be no cancer, there will be no diabetes, there will be no mistreatment, there will be no injustice, there will be grace and there will be happiness and there will be fulfillment and there will be glorifying Jesus and we'll get to sing praise and worship with heart song for all eternity. And that's heaven. Do you long for heaven? If you do, live as an exile here on this earth. Let me close with this. Does God keep his promises? The land promise was kept. The descendant promise was kept. And he's promised us a heavenly city. Does God keep his promises? How many of you believe God keeps his promises? Raise your hand. If God keeps his promises... How does that affect your decision-making? If God calls you to go, what do you do? Go. If God says, no, you're going to do marriage my way, you're not going to get involved in a sexual relationship before it's time, what do you do? Do you trust God or do you trust that feeling for immediate gratification? If you get married and a marriage gets tough somewhere 20 years down the road and you want out, but God's word says no, do you trust God and his promises or do you do what you want to do and lean to your own understanding? I could go on and on and on, but you get the point. If you trust God, you obey. Faith and obedience cannot be separated. Do you trust him? By faith, you can. My challenge to you today is to live every day as a life of faith so that when the temptations come, so that when the trials come, so that when God calls, you, like Abraham, will know that God keeps his promises and you can obey by faith. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we are weak, fallible human people. And there are many days that we wake up and we lack faith. And there are many temptations that come our way and we fail. And there are many times that we do things we shouldn't. But God, our desire and our goal for our life is to please you and to walk by faith. So God, grant us the grace that we need. Grant us the faith that we need to live a life for you. God, I pray for our students, our faculty, and our staff that we would all live life in such a way that it would be said, you are not ashamed to be called our God. So even this day, Lord, in all that we do and in the way that we do it, let us glorify you. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name for he is our savior, amen, and you are dismissed.